Thank you for listening to the Shanghai Community Fellowship Podcast. To find out more about the SCF community, listen to sermons, and upcoming events, visit us at shanghaifellowship.org. All right, welcome everyone to the Shanghai Community Fellowship Teaching Online, and uh, we're uh, glad to be entering into the beginning of this Lent series. Uh, I'm not sure when you'll be watching this. Uh, if you're kind of watching it in real time along with the recording, uh, we are in the Lent season of 2024, and we use that word Lent. It may not be a part of your faith tradition. Um, uh, you may have never actually heard that word before, Lent, L-E-N-T,、uh, or maybe it's very familiar to you. Uh, and uh, but uh, that's what we're doing. It describes this period of time, about six weeks or forty days prior to the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus, and、uh, it's a way for God's people, for the Christian community, to I kind of bring their kind of bring their thoughts in around.、Um, The, the the not only the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus, but his sacrifice on the cross, and just on the person and life and work of Jesus, and and really what the cross and his resurrection means and has done for the world. And、uh, so each year uh, uh, we we kind of set apart this time,、uh, and like I said, it it's forty days. Now it's actually forty days minus the Sunday. So it actually it started on February fourteenth. Um, uh, just for for us today, a couple days ago, and and if you count all the days minus the Sundays, you come up with forty. And the way they did this, now of course, this is not in the Bible. Lent is not in the Bible. You're not going to find a chapter in Second Corinthians on how to do Lent. It's it's something that the Christian community、uh, came up with literally hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Uh, to give us as a community, kind of a let our let our thoughts and and our lives be focused around the cross. Otherwise, we just kind of go about our business. It's like any other day or or any other week, and 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 here is Easter. Oh, oh, oh it's, it's Easter already, and、uh, we 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 miss it. So、um, it was a way, and it is it is a good way because you know for most of us we do need some focus. And and actually some intentionality and focus in our lives, especially、uh, our spirituality, our our devotion,、um, is good for us.、Uh, it, it it helps us to keep going and、uh, and strengthen and mature the walk of faith that we are walking. So that's all happening right here in this Lent season. One of my favorite parts about this night, my my own faith tradition. We did not grow up. Uh, practicing Lent, or we didn't just not a concept we referred to. Celebrated Easter,、uh, but、uh, we didn't we didn't do the Lent thing. And but anyways, I remember、uh, hearing that yeah, on the, the the Sundays in Lent you don't count those.、Uh, that's how you get the forty days, as I said. But it's also、um, each Sunday then during that forty days of remembering the cross of Christ.、Uh, each Sunday is a mini celebration. Uh, as you work your way toward the main event of the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus, so so、uh, yes, you are focused on the cross, unless you are moving toward the cross, but you are also on that journey, allowing yourself to remember that we are also moving toward the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus didn't stay on the cross;、uh, he was buried in a borrowed tomb, and then he raised、uh, was raised from the dead by his loving Father. And、uh, and the world has not been the same since. So, all right, that's 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 Lent. Now, Lent also, by the way, in fact, 
I probably have just told you a lot more about Lent than what you ever have heard of before, but I'm not done. Lent is also the season, but keeping in the same theme, it's also the season to reconnect to our baptism and to the covenant of our baptism. And uh, I don't know where you were baptized or when you were baptized. If you were baptized by, at SCF and I was here and I taught the baptism class you went to, then you would have heard me say that baptism is the outward manifestation of an inward reality. Um, uh, taking taking nothing, nothing away from the actual act of baptism itself. It's not the saying that, that the water and the baptism is, doesn't mean anything. It's only a symbol of what... what the, uh, the spiritual reality that's happened inside of us, um, but it's it's kind of in relation to each other. The baptism is meaningful, of course it is, but it's also and and at the same time uh, a symbol of something that is can't be seen, but this change of heart, this change of life, this change of mind, this transformation of our whole nature that is happening on the inside, right? So whether we were sprinkled with water or we were immersed in water dunked all the way down and come up again. In baptism, we show that we are in a covenant with the Jesus of this baptism. All right? We were baptized in Jesus' name. We were baptized in Jesus' baptism. And, it's, and, and, it's, and it kind of is like a marriage. That covenant of baptism is, is maybe even better. It's kind of like a wedding ring. All right? So that covenant of baptism and the baptism itself it kind of functions like the wedding ring, I've got one here, does in marriage. Um, the, my ring does not, is not the same thing as the marriage between Becky and I. It's a symbol of that marriage, but, but a very significant symbol. You take my ring and take it off or see it uh, someplace else other than on my hand. You know, it does, oh, there's, there's Pastor Dale's marriage. It's right over there. Of course not. But it becomes that symbol, a very powerful and significant symbol. The symbol itself uh, is, has meaning uh, that we are in a covenant, that Becky and I, this ring is an indication that Becky and I are in a covenant together. The baptism that you shared in Christ, with Christ, is that same wedding ring symbol that says you are in a covenant with Jesus. And during Lent, we remember the covenant that we shared in Christ that we were washed, that we were prepared. And as we were immersed in water, if we were immersed in water, but sprinkling would work as well, as we were immersed in water, we demonstrated our own death and burial and resurrection. Maybe the pastor or whoever it was that baptized you, I, 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 if it was me, then I say this, you know, um, going into the waters of baptism, being baptized, immersed into the water is like, like uh, being buried, uh, and coming up out of the water is like being resurrected. And this time of year is a good time to remember. It's a good time to remember uh, that, 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 that this is what's happened for us. It's a celebration of not only the resurrection of Jesus, but a celebration of my resurrection. The resurrection is, that is yet to come, but the symbolic, if you will, resurrection that I experienced when I was baptized and I came up out of the water. All right, you're remembering that now, I hope. And if you're not baptized and you're here in Shanghai, we are going to be, we're, we're going to try to do a baptism uh, later this spring. Again, this is 2024, uh, February of 2024 right now. So uh, later this spring, maybe as late as June, 
Well, if you're here in the city and you're watching um, and you're attending SEF right now, uh, or you want to fly back, uh, you can do that. Um, we're probably going to arrange for a baptism in the spring. So that's, that's in case you say, well, I've not been baptized yet. Well, your opportunity here at SCF uh, or whatever fellowship that you are part of right now. Uh, these six weeks are anticipating the remembrance of Jesus's powerful defeat of death and the grave. And it's a good time to remember and ask this question. Which, which of my old clothes need to come off and which of my new clothes need to come on? And what I mean there is that, that as the baptismal waters are, are, are a metaphor of our burial and resurrection, the Apostle Paul would use another metaphor to, to really to give a picture of the same dynamic. The metaphor that he used was not death and resurrection, but the changing of clothes. That in Christ, and, and in Christ, and, and in this covenant that I share with him, I am, with Christ's help, taking off the old clothes that I used to wear, right? Worn out, dirty, no good. I got to get rid of those. And I'm putting on new clothes. And that's the metaphor that he used. And so this is the time of year, this Lent season, when we're asking ourselves, am I still wearing some old clothes? Am I still wearing some threadbare, worn out, dirty, old stuff that smelly, you know, that I, it just needs to come off. And, and especially because I have new clothes to put on. And we ask ourselves, what am I wearing that is old, that needs to come off, and what of the new do I need to put on? Keeping in mind, of course, always that this is about the conversion of our whole person. And I always love this about this. this is a reminder to us again this time of year as the start of the, we start the Lent season, that my conversion to Jesus wasn't just the conversion of my mind. It wasn't the conversion of my Sundays. You know, oh you know, I used to do this on Sundays, but I've converted my Sundays and I'm actually attending a church now. It's not the conversion of my calendar. It's not just the conversion of 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 you know my clothes, literal clothes. My whole self has been changed over from top to bottom and turned over, going from death to life, from sin to the love and life that we now know in Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus was once asked this question. He was once asked, which is the greatest commandment? Now, Jesus, of course, was Jewish, and the person who was asking him was also Jewish. And two Jewish men here, and, and it was asked, asked in a crowd, so other Jewish people are all around, you know, uh, listening to the question and waiting for Jesus' answer. So there was definitely a cultural and religious expectation going on because all these good Jewish people knew that there were way more than 600 commandments in the Bible, in what we would call the Old Testament, a lot of commandments. So it was a bit of a trick question at least in maybe in the mind of the person doing the asking. All right, there's like 650, 700 different questions or, or commandments in the Old Testament, maybe even more. There's a lot of them. Let's ask this rabbi, let's ask Jesus, which one do you think is the greatest? It's, it's a bit of a trick question. It may have been a, a bit of a, of a test for Jesus, a test of his legitimacy to see if he'll give the quote-unquote right answer. Now, Jesus answered the question with this, with this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, 
and love your neighbor as yourself. That's Deuteronomy chapter 6, I believe verse 4. And that was the right answer. That was the right answer. It was the right answer in the mind of the person asking because Judaism and Jesus' day and for hundreds and hundreds of years had already decided that was the greatest commandment. But then Jesus does something else. He could have just said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then left it at that, and everyone would have said, yes, that's the correct answer. But Jesus adds to the correct answer, the anticipated answer. And he says, and the second is like unto it. In other words, this is now a new greatest commandment, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And what we need to know is that, that that love your neighbor as yourself is actually in the Bible. It's, it's in uh, the book of Leviticus, I think, chapter 19. And, and so it's not like Jesus was giving them something they had never heard before. But what Jesus was doing was, was essentially creating a new greatest commandment. And for Jesus, this wasn't a trivial question. It wasn't even a trick question or a trick answer or the answer to a trick question or like a solution to a puzzle or giving the right answer on the test. Jesus is actually doing something much more than giving an answer. He is stating with tremendous confidence and authority because only he could really do this, stating that that. There is a new greatest commandment, and he redefines it. Amazing, right? And, and, and people will get upset with Jesus over this because of the authority that he assumes. We know now that he doesn't just assume it, he has it. But from their perspective, he's like, who is this guy thinking he can take the greatest commandment and, and come up with another, a new greatest commandment? But that's what Jesus is doing. This will now be the new defining statement of faith, or as author Scott McKnight called it, this will be Jesus's creed. A creed is a statement of faith, all right? And Jesus is giving a new, a new statement of faith. This is Jesus's faith. This is Jesus' faith right here in one statement. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is more than a prayer. Uh, it was a way to live. It was the way that Jesus lived. Jesus, just, Jesus didn't just give a creed and say, you know, here's what I think the greatest commandment is. I, I have no intention of keeping it myself, but, uh, you know, I mean, since you asked, I, I, I've got an answer for that. No, the, Jesus, is, Jesus is giving an answer in the, sense, in, in the sense that this is how, you know, the answer to this question is right here. You know, the answer to this question is me. I am loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I'm loving others as I love myself 24-7, seven days a week, <clears throat> every week of the month, every month of the year, year after year. This is how we do it. This is how it's done. Jesus showing us the way. Jesus is loving God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, as I said, and others as himself. He's accomplishing that for which he was sent. He's also, of course, and this is what we're going to find out, that Jesus is not only doing it for himself, he's also living this way for us so that we can love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love others 
as ourselves. He's opening the door. He's giving us the strength. He's empowering us. He's giving us the authority to live like him in this world where I live right now, here and now. Right now, in, in, in 2024, the spring of 2024, in the city of Shanghai, where I live, I can love God every day with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I can love others as I love myself. And Jesus has made that possible. Now, in this series, and we are starting a sermon series today, we are going to be looking at stories from the life of Jesus, where we see him living by his own creed, loving God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and, and loving others as himself. So today, this is the first story. It is the story of Jesus being baptized and driven into the wilderness by the Spirit of God. Now, the Gospel of Mark begins with this sentence, verse 1, chapter 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. I mean, in the very first statement, Mark is telling us who Jesus is. Now, what makes that phenomenal is that um, as you continue to read, starting with about verse 14, verse 15, the rest of the Gospel of Mark is the story of people trying to figure out who Jesus is. Who is this man that speaks with such authority? Who is this man that does miracles like this? You know, who is this man who serves and loves others? You know, who is Jesus? That's the question everybody is asking in the entire Gospel of Mark. And there's an answer at the end. We'll talk about it in a moment. <clears throat> but here, at the very beginning, what Mark is doing is he is telling us right now, as the reader, we're going to read the whole story it's not in real time now. We're not, living, we're not living in the day of Jesus. We are living after that day. So we can go back and we can read the first verse. It's like, it's like getting the prologue. It's like getting that uh, before the opening act and the narrator or the playwright comes out on stage and, and, and tells you about the play and, and tells you what you need to know so that you can, you can follow the, the drama that's about ready to unfold. That's what Mark is doing for us here. He's saying, I'm going to tell you, boom, right now, before we start to read, and you start to hear the story of Jesus, that Jesus is God's son and that he is the Messiah of God. And this news that we're telling you about Jesus it's worth listening to. It's worth hearing. And then you go down, he talks about John the Baptist for a little bit, and then verse 9, here's what he says. At that time, still part of the opening, at that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just at, That's a river. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days. There's that 40 days. Being tempted by Satan, he was with the wild animals, and angels attended to him. Now a few more things before the drama begins, before, before the story really begins to unfold, before Jesus starts engaging with people, before the healings and the miracles and the amazing teaching and the confrontation with religious leaders. Mark, as I said, wants us to know who Jesus really is. As we will see, people are going to be confused about him. They're going to be uncertain about him, about his identity. Some people are going to be opposed to him because of what they think about his identity. We're told at the beginning that Jesus is the Son of God, and people are going to have a hard time seeing this and recognizing this. Some are going to want to believe 
that he really is the Messiah, the Son of God, but they'll struggle. Uh, and at the end of, of the story, we're going to see someone get it and understand. An unlikely person. This is the Son of God. Then there are going to be those who are opposed to Jesus. They don't want to believe that he might be the person that they think he might be. And they see Jesus as dangerous and as threatening. At the very end of the story, the very last chapter, a Roman soldier, not a Jewish person, not somebody who's anticipating the Son of God to come, or the Messiah, or the hope of the nations, or God keeping his promises, but a man, a foreigner, is standing at the foot of the cross, and he declares what was there all along for any of us to see. This man, Jesus, is indeed the Son of God. He is the Messiah of God. The wilderness, of course, as we said, as we read a moment ago, Jesus was driven into the wilderness. The wilderness, of course, is a real place. It's a real place. I've been in Israel a couple of times, and I've been in the, on, in near the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized. I've been literally physically at this very place. And you can stand at the river, and you can look out across what, what is still called today and referred to as the wilderness. Now, you know, I don't know what wilderness means, where you're from or you're part of the world. Maybe wilderness is a jungle. You know, it's a jungle without a cut path. It's a jungle without roads. It's, it's lush, green jungle, overgrown, wild animals, uh, you know, hatchets going through. Uh, maybe where you live, uh, the wilderness is the desert or it's, it's a forest. But here, the wilderness is none of those things. The wilderness is a rocky, vast place, rocky and hilly. There is some vegetation. There are some plants, uh, some short, small, shrubby type trees, but not much. It's very dangerous there. It's very hot there. There's no shade, and there's very, very little water. And as I said, I've been there. You can stand at the bank of the River Jordan today, and you look out, and you just kind of, as far as the eye can see, and, and the, your guide is telling you that's the wilderness. That's the wilderness that Jesus went into. Um, and, and that's what we hear in these words. Jesus was taken into the wilderness. The wilderness is a real place that features very significant in the Bible story, but it's also a place that the Bible is going to refer to again and again as a, as, as a symbol, as symbolically, or a metaphor for things that are happening in different seasons and places in our lives. It's the kind of thing where God is saying to us, remember this place, the wilderness, and remember this about this place. So you see that in the Bible. We see this in the story today. Remember that there is a real place called the wilderness. Remember what happened there for others who spent time in the wilderness. And remember that this place means this for you. Remember what happens in this place. The wilderness is a time or a place of testing. The wilderness is a time or a place of our humility. The wilderness is a time or a place where we are going without something that we desire or something that we think that we deserve. Remember that the wilderness is a place of testing. You know, after the celebration of Jesus' resurrection, uh, of where, where you have this supernatural uh, 
demonstration of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all being in the same place at the same time, the rending of the heavens, the descending of the Holy Spirit, Jesus being declared the Son of God, uh, you would think this would be the perfect time to launch. This is the perfect time for Jesus to just walk right into Jerusalem and start his ministry. Just go right now and do the thing that God has called you to do. But that, as you know, is not what happens. He's actually not turning into the city or into the crowds of the people that he has come to save. He will do that. But he is driven by the Spirit, not just casually moving toward or Take it if you want, take it if you don't want, go if you don't want, if you want to go, don't go if you don't want to go. No, he's being driven by the Holy Spirit into the desert. Jesus has been sent to announce that the kingdom of God is now present in him. He's been sent to seek and to save the lost and give his life as a ransom for many. He's been sent to love God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength and love others completely even as he loves himself every day of the week, every week of the year, every year of his life. But before he launches, he is going to be tested. And so he was driven or sent into the wilderness for this purpose. It makes you want to ask the question, did Jesus go to meet Satan in the wilderness, or did Satan go to meet Jesus in the wilderness? You say, ah, mm, what are you trying to say there? What's the difference? Is the wilderness a place where Satan lives? I I don't think so. But the wilderness is a place as we have just described. And Satan, the arch enemy of God who would want to defeat the purpose of God, will follow or go into the place where Jesus is going, a difficult place, a challenging place, a place of humility, a place where we don't have what we want to have, a place of testing and Satan will go into that place to test Jesus, as will happen for us as well. If you're not picking up on it, what Jesus has done, we will do. Perhaps you have already been at a place like the wilderness, a place of your humility, a place where you have gone through a time where you did not have what you wanted, that you really wanted to have, felt you absolutely needed this and deserved it but you're going day by day and week after week and you don't have it. Or a place where you're being greatly tested. A dream, a vision, a a calling on your life. Maybe it's vocational, maybe it's relational, and, and it's there for you. But right now, you're waiting, and the waiting is bringing a great testing to you. When we think calling from God, we need also to think test by God. So Jesus is tested. He's tested in this way. Will he trust God? Or as we have learned uh, from him, Jesus calls God his Abba, his Father. Jesus is going to be tested. Will he trust Abba to provide for his physical needs? Will he wait for Abba, for Father God, on his timing to make Jesus public and to launch the thing that he has come for, that he was sent for? Will he trust Abba God for timing? And will he worship God, Abba God, alone? No one else, nothing else. Surrender and give unto Father God all the worship that is due unto his name in honor and reverence and praise. 
He's, he will be tested in the wilderness in these areas. They probably sound familiar to all of us. Leaning into Jesus, who has already passed the test on our behalf, by the way. He's passed the test for himself. He's passed the test for those who have previously failed. Think Israel in the book of the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, book of Exodus and Deuteronomy, for example. But he's also passing the test for those of us who are now following him into the wilderness. I like something that Ruth said a couple of weeks ago, and you can uh, go back and listen to her talk on our YouTube channel, Shanghai Community Fellowship. She talked about trusting God proactively, things that we can do to trust God proactively and, and kind of kind of a, a building on uh, some of the things that Ruth said. She talked about trusting God proactively by, by intentionally resting, trusting God intentionally or proactively by, by generously giving, including our finances, especially our finances, proactively trusting God by freely forgiving. And I'd like to suggest that in the times of our own wilderness, our own wilderness times, when we are being tested and we are being tested to trust God completely, that we proactively trust him rather than just kind of wait until we're challenged and see if we're going to respond with trust to proactively trust him in these ways. Our call right now for each and every one of us our vocation for each and every one of us who are Christ followers is to love God every day with all of our heart, with all of our soul, our mind, and our strength, and to love other people as we love ourselves. And if we're going to answer this call, we need to be prepared to be tested. If you want God to give you a victory, he's going to give you a battle. Number two, remember in the wilderness, the wilderness is a place to have our first love restored. And I really, really loved this as I took a closer look this week, and it was pointed out to me in one of the people I was reading that, that in, the, in, the, in the rich uh, metaphor of the wilderness that God uses throughout the Bible, the wilderness is not only a place of humility or lack or dryness or the things we've talked about, but the, but the wilderness, God also refers to the wilderness as the place of the honeymoon. It's the place of bridal love. It's the place of marital love where God as groom and, and Israel as bride come together. Those early days in the relationship or maybe uh, in the marriage that, that, that as the bride and groom are moving toward the covenant of marriage, there's this there's this a, a, a love. They're, they're kind of putting a cap, if you will, or a, they're coming together. They're binding themselves together. And there's this, this beautiful uh, sense of trust and confidence in each other as they move toward uh, the sharing of their vows and the creation of this marriage covenant. And God, this is incredible here, God says there was a time in the wilderness where, where my people and I, now think my people, the people group Israel, or you as God's person, <laughs> one of his people, had that first love, marital love, that love that was so obvious to everyone on the day that you were married, if you're married, or 
someone you love was married, someone you, a couple that you know and love. All right, here's what he says, uh, Jeremiah 2. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness. Through a land not sown, Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty, and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. It was a time of tender love and confidence in each other. Here we are told, in, in the time of our humility, in the time of our lack, in the time and the place of the desert, remember your first love. Now we're talking about your first love with Jesus. Remember your first love and what the wilderness robs you of, what, what is being kind of slowly sucked out of you, the love that you had for Christ at the very beginning. Remember your first love. It's something that Jesus says to one of the churches in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, the churches in Ephesus. Remember your first love. It's more than possible to go back and restore the love that was there between you and your Savior at the very beginning. Thirdly, he tells them, remember, in the world, and remember this, remember the wilderness has real threats. It's dangerous. The wilderness is dangerous, but, yeah, there are wild animals there, but there is also protection. And the protection is just as real as the angels. They're supernatural, um, just as real as the, as the dangerous and as the danger. And the protection is supernatural. He's talking about angels here. We see here, a, a, a range of spiritual forces that are aligned against Jesus as they are aligned against us, taking advantage of this wilderness season in our lives. And Satan has come to meet Jesus in the wilderness, thinking oh, he's more vulnerable out here. I can get him out here. I can, I can defeat him out here in the wilderness. And the threat is real. And the danger is real. But so is the supernatural help that comes in Jesus' name, including the angels that will come to assist us because this is their divine assignment. We need to, at times, I think, look more closely at some of the struggles that we're in, some of the battles that we're in, and the wilderness that we're in, and see underneath the spiritual battles that are going on underneath us. Perhaps your wilderness is there and the struggle is there because of some disobedience. Because it's time for you to mature and to give up one of those old pieces of clothes and put on something new. Jesus is going to again and again confront the forces of evil, and not just when he's casting out demons, uh, and now we're talking about fast forward when he's ministering, but he will cast out evil in the opposition that he experiences, opposition to the kingdom of God. Jesus is going to face opposition his entire ministry. And of course, the final conflict for him will be the cross. For us, our conflicts will come. Wilderness times will come. But angels, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 1, verse 14, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? I take that verse and I just stay right there. I just stay right there. I don't know how it works. I, 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 you know, I, there's some insight here. This is not a sermon talk today about angels. Maybe we can do that another day. But even if we looked at everything the Bible has to say about angels and how they relate to us and serve us, according to Hebrews 1.14, uh, there's not a lot there. 
There's a lot left. You end up with a lot more questions than answers, to be honest with you. But I do know that what the Bible is saying here today, I take and accept. There are angelic beings that are serving me as an heir to salvation. And when I am in trouble, I pray to Jesus and I ask him to release angels to assist and to help and to serve. I'm in trouble, I'm in danger, and I know they are part of the Father's protection for me. Fourthly, remember that God is not silent, even in the wilderness. God is not silent. You may even come out of the wilderness having discovered that God has given you something to say. He's given you a message. He's given you a word from the word that comes out of your time in the wilderness. Isaiah 40, verse 3, describes the message and the word given to one man who spent some time in the wilderness and then came out to speak. His name was John, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for God. It's in the wilderness that you get this amazing creative power of God that will again and again be sent out and used for the salvation of his people, for, for, for saving me, for saving you. Isaiah 35, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly. Shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord to, splint, to the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands then. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those who have a fearful heart, be strong. I do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. The desert, the wilderness that you are in will rejoice and blossom. Your God will come. He will come to save. It was absolutely necessary. That's kind of the impact of the verb. He was sent. Jesus was led or sent, or another translation in English anyway, says cast out into the, into the wilderness. Well, you know, all, all that means is, is it was absolutely necessary that Jesus be sent into the wilderness. On the other side of 40 days, after 40 days in that wilderness place, Jesus comes out of the wilderness as a whole and as a complete person. He went in, he went in holy and completely the Son of God, the Messiah of God. He came out holy and completely as the Messiah and as the Son of God. He was still the Son of God as he was the day he entered into his wilderness time. Why then was it necessary for him to go through all of that? Well, one reason is to correct a past failure. If you know something about the biblical story, another group of people, Jesus' own people, the Jewish people, had also spent years and years in the desert, in the wilderness, and failed the test. They did not come out as the pure and spotless bride that would end. And um, uh, Jesus has come to make up for the failure of what had happened before. But there's another reason. He has come through the wilderness, facing the tests, facing the humility, facing the lack, facing the struggles, and overcome 
for himself, but for himself so that we could lean into Jesus and overcome our own wilderness, to face our own wilderness. And when we are threatened, experience the Father's protection. And when we are tested, pass those tests as we trust our Father. And to experience a restored love. I hear people say sometimes, I wish things could be different. I wish things could be different. In Christ, they can. In Christ, they can be different. And I want to speak right now to anyone who might be listening, particularly if you have lost your first love, you're, you're, you're just going through the motions, you're, and I'm talking now about your walk with Jesus, your, your life in Christ, you're just, you're everywhere, you know, you, whatever you're doing, you're, 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 it's minimal, you're just getting by, you, you do it to ease your conscience, you'd feel guilty if you didn't read that Bible every now and then, or there's just the love, the passion, it, it's just not there like it was. No. Come and let and let your God, let the Son of God restore your passion for Him. He has not changed towards you. His love and His passion for you has never changed. Come, come again before your God and allow him to wash and cleanse and bring hope and deliver and save and give you back your first love for him. I'd like to pray for you as I pray for all of us. Father God, I do pray. Lord, this is a, a, a reminder to us today that you go into the wilderness on our behalf. Not so that we don't ever have to face our own wilderness, but so that when we do, we can have the same experience that Jesus had, passing the tests, trusting you, loving you, rejoicing in you. Father, I pray especially for those today who their wilderness times have left them without love, with, left them without that, that first love that they had at the beginning. I pray, Father, that today, by your Spirit, I know that you love them as much as you ever have. So I pray today that by your Spirit, they would remember. And because you are helping us cast off, get just, just take off that what we've been carrying with us and embrace you and enter into the chamber, into that place where we know that we are loved by you and forgiven and have no shame. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.